Thank you for downloading this episode of Case Notes. Case Notes was recorded at the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh as part of the Edinburgh History of Medicine seminar series. You can get news of our latest events if you follow us on Twitter at RCP Heritage. We hope you enjoy the talk. Uh, well, thank you, Daisy, and thanks uh, everyone uh, for coming. Uh, I'll be talking about uh, Sir Alexander Morrison and his book, uh, The Physiognomy of Mental Diseases, uh, and asking if it really represented uh, the faces of madness. So the college here has a really uh, splendid collection of portraits of people uh, from the 19th century, uh, children, women, men, people from all different backgrounds and ages. And these portraits form the basis of Morrison's book on physiognomy. Uh, and his first edition of this book came out uh, in 1838, The Physiognomy of Mental Diseases. And physiognomy uh, is defined as the practice of uh, assessing a person's character from the facial features. And in particular, in Morrison's case, it's the idea that you can make a psychiatric diagnosis from the facial features of the person. And I, I would argue that Morrison's work has not received the attention it deserves. Historians have approached the, the work in a rather dismissive fashion and seen in the work uh, really what they wanted to see. Uh, for example, Janet Brown in her book on Darwin says, flicking through the book, this is Morrison's physiognomy book, looking at the pictures alone, the most striking observation must surely be that they all look precisely the same. They are blank, depressing portraits. And what I, I hope to show in this talk is that Janet Brown got this completely wrong. There's a wide variety of facial expressions and, and people. So the plan of this talk is to look uh, briefly at the research material uh, available on Morrison, give a brief biography of him, look at Morrison the lecturer, look at Morrison's relationship with art, and then look in some detail at the physiognomy of mental diseases. So I'll start with the, uh, when I look at the book by comparing the original work with the reproductions in the book, then look at certain themes such as the diagnosis that were used at the time, the symptoms that the patients had, the before and after portraits of the patient ill and then recovered, look at some of the stories contained in, in the texts that accompany the pictures, look at the treatments that were used and then offer some concluding remarks. So there's research material as well as the secondary uh, literature. There are uh, Morrison's published works uh, on psychiatry. There's the original artwork which uh, we have in the college. And there are Morrison's extensive diaries. Uh, Morrison kept a diary throughout his adult life and uh, they amount to 20 volumes and these are also kept at the college. Unfortunately, Morrison doesn't really describe his inner life or outline his philosophy of uh, medicine or art. And this is one of uh, the volumes and an example of, uh, of Morrison's writing. So, a brief biography then. Morrison was born on the 1st of May, 1779 in Edinburgh. He attended Edinburgh High School. And in 1792, at the age of 13, he went to uh, Edinburgh University. And this was not an atypical age for uh, people to go to university in the late 18th century Edinburgh. In 1794, he begins uh, the study of medicine and qualifies in 1799 uh, and spends the next two years in London uh, studying further and resumes his contact with the Edinburgh doctor 
Dr. Alexander Crichton, who's now based in London. And Crichton uh, is known to us uh, for his book, An Inquiry into the Nature and Origin of Mental Derangement, a book that was to influence Morrison. In 1799, uh, Morrison marries Marianne Kushney, who came from a wealthy family, and Morrison was to spend the next uh, 25 years travelling back and forth between Edinburgh and London, trying uh, initially unsuccessfully to forge a career. During this period, his wife had 16 children, uh, not all of whom uh, uh, survived infancy. In March uh, 1818, um, Morrison makes a significant trip to Paris to meet the great French clinician, Dr. Esquirel, who is the head of the Paris Asylum at the Salle de Tetrière. And Esquirel was another profound influence on Morrison. And Esquirel showed uh, Morrison his collection of 200 uh, plaster of Paris casts of the face, of the insane, and 600 skulls. And Esquirel had also started commissioning the drawings uh, of the insane. And these are examples of the work that um, Esquirel had commissioned of the patients uh, in the French asylums. And one of Esquirel's uh, students was a brilliant young doctor called Dor Dr. Georges, who published on madness. And Georges emphasized the fleeting nature of the facial expressions of the insane, the idea that the facial expressions weren't fixed, immobile, but changed uh, dynamically. And one of uh, Dr. Georges' friends was the great artist Theodore Jericho, whom Georges asked to paint uh, patients at the Salpetetra. And this is one example, uh, which may be familiar to you, a lady that was uh, said to suffer from monomania of vanity. Unfortunately, both men died uh, at a young age and the work was never published. Jericho is best known to us, of course, for his painting, The Raft of the Medusa. And Sander Gilman, in his uh, important book, Seeing the Insane, writes of these two men, with Georges and Jericho, the concept of a portrait of a single insane individual embodies the new status of the insane as citizens within the state, not outcasts from it. So the mentally ill, their uh, status is improving a bit, and they are now subjects to individual portraits rather than seeing, uh, being seen just as a group, a mass of people. Well, whilst he was in Paris, Morrison attended lectures on phrenology, uh, and phrenology, as people probably know, is defined as the contours of the skull reveal the underlying structures of the brain, and this is somewhat mockingly displayed in this uh, contemporary cartoon. So Morrison attended lectures by uh, the leading exponent, Joseph Gall, Gall and he also met Joseph Spursheim. And but Morrison rejected this uh, early 19th century theory because he felt it offered a static, immobile model of the brain and of mental illness. So Morrison uh, starts to have a bit of career. In 1823, he begins what were the first lectures on mental disease in Britain. Uh, he starts in Edinburgh in 1823 and also starts lecturing in London as well in 1826. And Morrison, as well as being the first uh, person to lecture on mental disease, is the first person to bring out a textbook of psychiatry, Outlines of Mental Diseases, which uh, came out in uh, 1825 and ran to five editions. In 1832, his uh, search for a career eventually bears fruition, and he's appointed visiting physician to Hanwell Asylum. 
and then to Bethlehem, and then to the Surrey County Asylum. And in 1838, he brings out the physiognomy of mental diseases. 1852, there's the famous painting by Richard Dadd, which I'll return to later. And in 1866, Dadd dies, uh, rather, uh, Morrison dies. So, that was just a brief overview of his career. If we look briefly at uh, Morrison the lecturer, Morrison brought back uh, what he'd learned uh, in Paris and France uh, to begin his first course of lectures. And on the 15th of February, uh, February 1823, he records in his diary, called on Mr. Putnam some rules for lecturing. Speak in your natural way, but as if you wish to be heard in the next rooms. <laughs> Address yourself to the most remote parts of the audience. Turn occasionally with gentle movements to different parts of the audience. This calls attention. Learn by heart as much as you can. So Morrison is taking this new role as a lecturer very seriously. And on the 21st of November, 1823, he begins his first lectures. And he comes to the conclusion fairly early on that the lectures would be better received if he had some visual material. And on the 7th of November, 1825, he records, gave lecture on brain illustrated by casts and drawings. Two weeks later, he records giving a lecture with four drawings shown. So this brings us to Morrison's uh, relationship with art. And I think an important uh, observation that applies to Morrison is by Ludmilla Jordanova, a medical historian who compares the artist with the clinician. And she writes that there are parallels between the artist and the clinician. Like the portrait painter, clinicians have to look carefully and record faithfully. Before an artist, she says, every sitter is in some sense a patient, a person to be looked at repeatedly and scrutinized. And likewise, clinicians act as portrait painters, building up a picture of the patient out of their facial expressions, their gesture, and their gait. So over the coming years, Morrison commissions portraits of hundreds of asylum patients. And uh, these are now housed in this college. There's 249 of them. And they were originally catalogued by Helen Smales in the 1980s. And uh, Morrison commissioned professional artists to do this, such as Francois Rochard, a miniaturist, uh, Alexander Johnston, a portrait painter, and Charles Gow, who is described as an obscure, obscure Scottish portraitist. So the process would be that Morrison would uh, go with the artist to one of the asylums, and uh, the artist would do a picture of a patient that uh, Morrison had selected, and then uh, Morrison would have dinner with them afterwards. So it was a convivial process. And Morrison and his artists uh, visited Bethlehem, Hanwell, Hoxton, and Surrey County Asylum. And in his diary, Morrison will record that the artist would take a patient. Unfortunately, that's about all Morrison says about the process. So we know uh, very little uh, about it. Another uh, medical historian, D.H. James, has commented on uh, the, the medical portrait, portrait of patients. And he writes, artists were in the room. They had their own clinical gazes. So the artist obviously brought something uh, as well as the clinician. And the artist partly uh, determined the psychodynamics of looking and being looked at. Um, artists had their own perspectives on how to portray suffering, and they were in turn influenced by their sitter patient. And of course, the patient brought uh, a huge amount to the, uh, the circumstances. 
and there's overseeing all this, Morrison, the clinician, viewer, and producer of art. So the final image uh, is a complex interplay of all these factors. So Morrison's first recorded visit to an asylum uh, for the patient uh, portraiture was on the 22nd of February, 1826. And he writes, visit Bedlam, that was in Bethlehem, looked over a number of cases in order to get drawings of some of them. And on the 24th, he writes, took Mr. Rochard to St. Luke's, and the next day, Mr. Rochard drew two heads of the insane for me. And in her history of the portrait, generally, Sheila West discusses the concept of the duality of likeness and type, and this is very important for Morrison's work. She writes that the artist not only attempts to capture the likeness of the patient, but also tries to stress the typical or ideal aspects through pose, expression, or props. So this uh, dichotomy uh, applies to Morrison, because Arcturus is trying to capture the likeness of the person in front of them, but it's also somehow to illustrate the type of mental condition uh, that the patient has. And also uh, on the subject of art, uh, Morrison got to know Richard Dadd, and uh, Richard Dadd was a, at that point an inmate of Bethlehem, and it was Charles Gow, one of Morrison's artists, who introduced him uh, to Dadd. And Morrison writes that Gow told him, Dad is an extraordinary artist. And indeed, Dad was. Uh, Dad was a successful young Victorian painter who developed a psychotic illness, felt his father was Satan, and murdered him. He spent the rest of his adult life in secure uh, asylums in Bethlehem and Rodmore, and he continued to paint. And this is his most famous painting, The Fairy Fowler's Masterstroke, which hangs in Tate, Britain. So Dad begins acquiring uh, Dad's, uh, Morrison begins acquiring Dad's work. And in 1852, Dad completed his famous portrait of Morrison, which is now in the National Gallery here in Edinburgh. And this picture shows Morrison in the grounds of his estate overlooking the Firth of Forth. And you'll see in the background two New Haven fishwives. Dad wasn't allowed out of the asylum to, to paint this landscape, but instead used pictures that Dad's daughters had provided to him. And I think what we have in this picture is the reverse of the medical gaze. So it's now Morrison's turn to be scrutinized by a patient, albeit a very able artist. And it was the French philosopher Michel Foucault who introduced the term the medical gaze, saying that from the 18th century onwards, the trained eye of the doctor reduced patients to objectified medical problems, problems which only the clinician's training could reveal. And I think uh, Dad has captured Morrison, looking in weary and troubled as his commissioned, some of his commissioned portraits. So if we turn uh, to the physiognomy of mental diseases, this book has its origins in uh, earlier Morrison publications, uh, his outlines, the second edition, in which for the first time he had illustrations with uh, the faces of the mentally ill, and these were copies of Iskerl's patients. And in the book, Morrison says that he's interested in the idea of the movable physiognomy. Uh, and again, this is a recurring feature that uh, facial expression is not static. So the first edition comes out in 1838. And in the opening pages, uh, Morrison outlines his credo. There's no class of diseases in which the study of physiognomy is so necessary as that of mental diseases. 
It not only enables us to distinguish the characteristic features of different varieties, but it gives us a warning of the approach of the diseases, as well as confirms our opinion of convalescence in those whom it is subsiding. In other words, we can tell when someone's developing a mental illness by their facial expression, and we can also tell when they're recovering. So Morrison in the book uh, pays homage to previous traditions in physiognomy. He has copies of uh, work by Iskarol. He has copies of the famous uh, statues of mania and melanch uh, melancholia uh, by Sibber, which uh, are now housed at the Bethlehem Hospital. He has copies of uh, Horgas, famous uh, painting of the Rake's Progress, where the uh, central character after a life of dissipation ends in the asylum. He also has copies of Sir Charles, Sir Charles Bell's work. And Bell was an Edward surgeon who was also an artist. And in uh, his Anatomy of Expression, he gives this image of a madman in which Bell pictures madness as a state akin to brute animality. We see the madman naked, chained, and snarling. And Morrison also uh, had a local uh, character, the poor, unfortunate daft Jamie, who was described in the 19th terminology as an idiot, uh, we would say learning disability now. And poor uh, Jamie was murdered by Burke and Hare, who were supplying bodies uh, to Dr. Knox, and he appeared in a popular print. So the format uh, of Morrison's uh, book was there would be a reproduction of the portrait on one page and uh, text alongside it. Uh, Morrison brought out a second uh, edition uh, in 1843 with more portraits. So uh, before we uh, begin to look at the portraits, I think we have to be aware that the portraits we're seeing are framed by the fact they're in a textbook of mental diseases. They also have a, an accompanying text. So this influenced how we see uh, these portraits um, um, in terms of they're in a book of mental pathology. The texts uh, often contain uh, a biographical and clinical details, and this, uh, I think, creates a tension in how we create, how we interpret the portrait. Should we see the picture as a medical case illustrating signs and symptoms, or that of an individual? And I think, really, the portraits tend to undermine the, the first interpretation, because the patients are not rendered in the stereotyped madmen or madwomen images uh, from the past, but rather they're seen as individuals. So, um, just briefly comparing two uh, sets of images of before and after. The original uh, drawings were done in Conti cranes uh, and, and lightly coloured, and they were then reproduced in the book, either in the form of engravings or lithographs, and uh, they were made into reproductions by William Holmes, Lizard, Lizards, and uh, Carl Christian Baum. So, uh, in this uh, uh, image on your right is the original drawing. Uh, no, on your left is the original drawing. On your right is the etching. And the etching has clearer lines but lacks some of the lightness of touch and spontaneity of the original. And the second uh, image, again, the uh, original uh, drawing is on the left and the lithograph uh, is on the right. I think the lithograph is uh, better able to convey the, the spontaneity and the changeability of, of the patient's expression. So if we turn to uh, some themes in the book, 
that uh, first one is diagnosis. And Morrison had a fairly simplistic diagnostic symptom system derived from French clinicians. And it's important to remember that some of the terms used have changed uh, in how we use them today. So Morrison had mania. He had monomania, which was the notion that a person could appear perfectly sane, but for one crazy idea. Acute and chronic dementia doesn't mean Alzheimer's disease, but it's a much more general term meaning uh, mental uh, impairment, confusion. And these uh, terms, idiocy and imbecility, uh, have been replaced by uh, the term learning disability. So the first uh, diagnostic example is a man with mania who is in the Bethlehem criminal department having murdered someone. I think here we see the artist has captured the sense of movement of the patient. Uh, we see that the patient's in chains, uh, and it does make me wonder quite how the artist did the portrait with her several attendants uh, in the room with the artist, or, or quite what happened. Morrison doesn't tell us. This is uh, the oldest person in the series, uh, Miss E. Stanley, age 97, when the portrait was uh, made, and she died at the age of 100, and by far uh, the, the oldest patient in the series. This is R.C., 52, who was said to suffer from unnatural propensity, and this was the Victorian psychiatric term for people who were gay, and this reflected uh, the general Victorian society's very negative uh, uh, attitude to gay people. And not only did the psychiatric uh, textbook reflect this, it gave it a pseudo-scientific credibility by labelling it as an example of pathology. And we hear here that the soldier was in the Marine Service discharged and sane of a cunning disposition. And again, the texts that accompany these uh, diagnoses tend to be very critical and con uh, condemnatory. This uh, poor man, John Hardy, uh, suffered from dementia and general paralysis of the insane, which was the end stage uh, condition of syphilis. And in the 19th century, there was no cure for syphilis. And once people developed this, they died a horrible death in the asylum. And we read that this uh, man had been an eminent artist, and the picture was taken five weeks before his death, uh, by which time he was scarcely able to remember anything or express himself other than to say, I am the prince of the Ionian Islands. This is a, a sensitive picture of a, a young child uh, said to suffer from imbecility. And here uh, the text reads, this boy has been idiotic since his birth. He appears to have affection for his father and mother and is fond of looking at his father at work as a tailor. Claps his hand when he sees the needle move and tries to imitate the operation of sewing. And the text that accompanied uh, the people with uh, learning disabilities tended to be sympathetic and benign in contrast to the text for people with unnatural propensity. And uh, another uh, picture is the only group picture in the series. And uh, the text reads, this poor fellow is of weak intellect and subject to fits. He has a kind disposition and takes fatherly charge of two idiots, only nine, the other 15 years old, both of whom seem fond of him. This view exhibits the mutual attachment that appears to exist between these unfortunate and helpless beings. And it certainly does show that relationships developed amongst uh, inmates in the asylum, and that's not something you get from the single portraits. 
And interesting, despite the fact this is in a book on physiognomy, Morrison makes no mention of the rather striking appearance of the central character who is in a feathered hat and a long coat. And this uh, picture illustrates another Victorian preoccupation, that of masturbation and the idea that it could somehow cause insanity. And the text reads, this young man, about the age of 15, addicted himself to the baneful practice of self-pollution, the consequences of which was weakness of body and mind so great as to render him quite unfit for his situation as a clerk. He has been in confinement for upward of five years, and when not strictly watched, indulges in his pernicious propensity, and has even attempted to gratify one of a more revolting nature, which they don't tell us the nature of it. So if we look at uh, the symptoms that um, the patients displayed uh, and recounted in the text, a great many patients had grandiose delusions. Uh, and this lady, uh, we hear, affirmed that she was, in a peculiar manner, the daughter of the God of heaven, and that she was Venus in the first place in the sign of Libra, that she was well acquainted with the formation of the world and the counsels of the Almighty, but she conceives herself under evil machinery. She is represented in her favorite dress. And interestingly, the asylums try to encourage uh, the return of sanity by having their patients dress in a sober fashion. But this lady uh, was allowed to dress like this. And was it because it was just a bit easier to let her dress like this than make a fuss? Or was it because she was a visual example of the diagnosis monomania of vanity? We don't know. This uh, is another uh, patient with grandiose delusions, H.T., who's a poor man, who supposed himself to be a very exalted personage and assumed the title of the head general of the whole world. And he is portrayed here playing cards. And this gives just a glimpse of some of the activities people uh, got involved in to pass the long hours and years in the asylum. Uh, this young woman suffered from puerperal mania, a serious uh, psychiatric illness beginning just after childbirth, and she was under restraint, as you can see uh, in the picture, and she's singing and saying she is Queen of Great Britain, talking about having thousands of children. Some people were uh, tormented, depressed, and anxious, and this poor woman had a condition called panophobia, which was a fear of absolutely everything and she feared she was turning into another person, changed into another person. And this is one of the few pictures where we have some background detail, in this case, uh, the bars of the cell she's in. Another demented woman uh, is this uh, woman, SC, who uh, is in the deepest distress of mind. She conceives that the devil is within her in the form of a serpent, that she herself is a serpent and the cause of all the misery of the world and she continually rubs the side of her head and picks her, the hair out of it. And we, we don't know if this was posed or the artist caught her in her characteristic uh, activity, and I tend to think it was the artist catching her because it seems quite a spontaneous, uh, quick uh, drawing. And this uh, patient uh, suffered from catalepsy, and this was a condition where the patient would stay in the same posture uh, for uh, minutes, if not hours. And in this particular uh, case, the background to the development of this disorder is quite interesting. The text says that he frequented the theatre, after which he was observed to stand for a long time together in, the th in theatrical attitudes. 
he would for half an hour or longer remain in a position he might be placed, such as that in which he is represented. And looking at uh, the theme of before and after, uh, there's two examples of this, and indeed the first plate in the book is of this man said to suffer from intermittent, uh, intermittent mania and was violent. And this is the first plate, and the second plate he's said to be recovered. And if we put them together, we see that in the second plate he is uh, well-groomed, his hair is combed, and he's more smartly dressed. So these kind of images are a good advert for the asylum, that people uh, get better, they recover in the asylum. And another example is this uh, lady, uh, Jeffries, who suffered from puerperal mania, and this is the only set of three images. And in this first image, we see that she's also in restraint. The, there's a hand of the attendant on her head, and she is twitching as if in pain and saying nothing. In the second image, she's still uh, unwell and still under restraint. And the third in, uh, image, she's said to be cured. And if we run these three images together, we see the progress and again, uh, a good advert for the apparent efficacy of the asylum. So there were uh, some interesting stories in the text uh, of the book. Uh, the most famous patient in the collection is Jonathan Martin, who is known to us because he tried to burn down York Minster. He said the angel sent from the Almighty had ordered him to set fire to the cathedral in order to cause the clergyman to think of their ways, which he condemned, adding that he would do it again if he had his liberty. And Jonathan Martin also painted when he was in the asylum. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an example of one of his works, which is uh, a very dramatic uh, picture. And interestingly, uh, Jonathan Martin had a famous, art, uh, famous brother who was a, a successful Victorian artist, and this was John Martin, whose work again was uh, very dramatic, uh, if more skilled than uh, his brother Jonathan. And uh, this other story is uh, of a young of a woman, aged 57, who was the mother of a large family. In a fit of sudden frenzy, she cut off the head of one of her children. No motive for this unnatural act could be ascertained. And because Morrison was drawing uh, patients from the Bethlehem Criminal Department, there are cases of violence uh, and murder, uh, very many of them, in the series. And the last story is this poor uh, man uh, with learning disabilities who laid his head on a fire and created this amount of damage. And some weeks later, he, he died. So the, uh, just looking at the, the treatments uh, that were available or that Morrison used, there was restraint with cuffs, as we've seen, shaving the head, leeches, laxatives, warm bath and shower bath, tartarize, intimidate, morphine and camphor. And none of these treatments were particularly specific for mental disorder, and some of them were used as camatives. So two examples of the treatment, uh, a, a woman that was in a restraining dress to stop her tearing her clothes, and uh, a man who had a circular soft pad around his head to prevent him injuring himself when he had an epileptic fit. So, uh, just to offer some concluding remarks, Sander Billman, seeing the insane, said that Morrison's Atlas was the first consistent attempt to create the illusion of transitionness discussed by Georgie. Morrison, unfortunately, had the misfortune to bring out his book uh, just as photography was being introduced. 
1839, photography was introduced to Western Europe, and uh, it was the hope that this would be a new scientific physiognomy in the latter half of the 19th century. And Professor, uh, Dr. Hugh Diamond introduced the first photographs of the insane, and they were initially regarded as more scientifically accurate than the portraits by artists. But the actual early photography took a long time to actually develop a picture and the patient had to stay in the one pose for a long time. And it was uh, subsequently learned that patients were being, being posed, uh, to, made to look in a certain way or hold certain objects. So the idea of scientific objectivity uh, was undermined to some extent. Unfortunately for uh, Morrison, Diamond's work was taken up by his arch rival in Victorian psychiatry, Dr. John Connolly. And despite uh, Morrison's work apparently being superseded, I think his work still is a rich source for telling us about the history of psychiatry, the patient world, and also uh, the history of art. And just to touch on some historical and cultural aspects, uh, the medical historian Jonathan Andrews has said in the early modern period, the mad were often portrayed with dishevelled hair, wild eyes, unkempt appearance, and in a state of nakedness, as we saw from Charles Bell's image. And certainly Morrison has moved on uh, to some extent from this, uh, and his patients all fully clothed. The historian of, uh, uh, Scottish historian Rabbi Houston has focused on uh, the trope of using dishevelled hair uh, to depict madness, and certainly some of the Morrison images we see in the before and after pictures, uh, the before pictures have people with dishevelled hair. The cultural historian Elaine Showalter uh, has contended that from the end of the 18th century onwards, the symbolic nature uh, of the person shifted from male to female, and she identifies three major romantic images of female insanity. The suicidal Ophelia, the sentimental crazy Jane, and the violent Lucia from the bride, Walter Scott's Bride of Lammermoor. And in her book, The Female Malady, uh, uh, Scholter briefly looks at the Morrison's work, and she tells us most of the plates show standardized female portraits in the Crazy Jane style. Even when they are described as manic, these women have sweet smiles and pretty features. They are shown in elaborate caps and bonnets like the millinery models in the ladies' annuals. And I would hope with the selection of pictures I've shown that uh, Showalter's view is very limited. Not all the, the women looked sweet and pretty by any means. And Scholter has been criticised by another historian, Joan Buzzfield, that says the images of male insanity continued in the 19th century, and she has identified three main categories, the criminal lunatic, the mad genius, and masturbatory insanity, which we've looked at. So I think these cultural stereotypes uh, obviously influenced how uh, medical illustrations were, were made. But there's a danger of neglecting uh, what Busfield has talked about, the ontological reality of madness, that it wasn't just a, a cultural or artistic uh, construct, but it was actually based on the uh, mental uh, suffering of, of the individual patient. And obviously the presence of the patient in the, the room, the patient being painted, uh, influenced how the image was uh, painted. So, um, Pictures in the book I say are framed by the fact that in a textbook of mental diseases, they influence how the person is seen. And curiously, despite Morrison's uh, aim to demonstrate his theory of physiognomy, the text really discussed the facial features in uh, 
much detail and don't link them to uh, notions of what diagnosis the patient was supposed to have. So uh, lastly then, the patients I think come across as individuals, not types. And in this interplay between artist and uh, sitter and Morrison, it would seem that the artist sought to capture the patient as a person rather than an example of a type of mental condition. So I think this uh, image has served to undermine uh, Morrison's notions of physiognomy. And uh, I think the portraits uh, had the unintended consequence of showing that the mentally ill looked like everyone else. There was no them and us divide. They were no different. And I think this served to humanize the mentally ill and it was a great step forward. And the last image is Morrison, who's seen, and another man who really has a very similar expression to Morrison of weariness and what have you. And the only difference is uh, the other man has restraining gloves. So I'll end there and thank you for your attention and the people have helped with this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our History of Medicine lecture series, Case Notes. This podcast has been brought to you by the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh. We're a charity, and if you enjoyed today's show, head over to rcpe.ac.uk backslash heritage for more information and how to donate. Thank you.